Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. We're in a series called Advance, and really what we're talking about is just growing and advancing in the Lord, uh, because no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, how long you've been with the Lord, you should always be growing, should always be advancing. No one ever arrives, no one ever you know, gets to that point where you don't need to grow anymore. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about growing. Now, if you missed the first couple weeks, I encourage you to go back and listen because I did, I did kind of preface a few things about growing because I know sometimes people uh, in the body of Christ, they're going through something and they're, they're tired. And we always have that. We always have people in the body of the Christ that are, that are struggling, that are going through a really difficult time, and they don't want to hear anything about growing right now. And I understand that. And if that's you... Just kind of uh, relax and enjoy the Word of God today, and then come back and visit it later when you're ready to grow. But what we've started talking about last week was surrender, and this is such a big part of growing because a lot of things in the kingdom of God are the opposite direction of what you think they would be. In other words, if you want to go up, Jesus said, well, the, the real path is down. And that's not like just good philosophy, uh, you know, talk. That's reality. That's truth. In God's kingdom, if you want to go up, you have to go down. In other words, if you want to be above others, he said, the best thing for you is that you go and serve others. In other words, you got to go down if you want to go up. So we've been talking about surrender because you'll never advance in the kingdom of God until you surrender to his process. And he has a process that when he looks at you, he knows what's in your heart. He knows your motives. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hang-ups. He knows your habits. He knows those things that trip you up. And so he will custom make a process for you to clean that out, get that straight, get that fixed, so that as you grow in the Lord, those things don't trip you up. Have you ever seen anybody that Looked like they were just going on ahead and they were blowing up the world. You know, they're successful. Maybe they're in ministry. Maybe they're in business. And all of a sudden, they had this big catastrophic moral failure and everything. The rug just gets pulled out from under them. Well, I can tell you this. That didn't happen by them being in God's process. Because God never will allow you to advance past your character. He'll never allow you to advance past that. So if those things were still in you and you were submitted to his process, he'd have kept you at the level you needed to be at so that you'd have never got there. And one thing I learned about following God, this may sound funny to you hearing this, but one thing I had to learn as a pastor is that God cares more about me than he does the ministry. Now think about that for just a minute. But, but God cares more about me than he does the ministry. In other words, a lot of times the way we think is, you know, well, God, use me. What do you want me to do? And, it, and, and here's the way a good father looks at it. I'm never going to sacrifice you as an individual at the expense of the ministry. In other words, if the ministry, and you can apply it to your situation, but for my situation, I'm never going to use you and wear you out and wring you out like a, a, a rag so that the ministry can go for it, but it's killing you all along the way. Instead, what I'll do is I'll grow you, I'll strengthen you, I'll develop you if you stay in my process so that you and the ministry grow together and that one can sustain the other. But a lot of times we let the things that are going on in our life outpace our growth and our character. 
And what happens is things in our life begin to be, the business builds, you know, the stress builds, the success builds, the notoriety builds, all the while our character was staying the same and not growing at the same pace as those other things. Well, what happens? All that eventually crushes a person. This is where you see burnout. This is where you see nervous breakdowns. This is where you see people falling off the cliff, you know, and, and falling off the deep end. How does that happen? It doesn't happen in God's process. It happens when you get outside of God's process. So that's why I say advancement in the kingdom of God is all about surrender. It's all about surrendering to God's process and realizing I can't trust myself. I don't know what's best for my life, but there's someone who does. God, there's a God that loves me. There's a God who cares for me. And if I surrender to his process, he'll change me, he'll grow me, he'll develop me. Now, I'm going to read something to you this morning out of the book of Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. It's really one of the saddest parts of the whole Bible. When, when you understand the Bible in its entirety, this is really one of the saddest parts in the whole Bible because if you know the story of the Old Testament, God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? It's this, it's this whole beautiful story. He delivers them miraculously out of Egypt. He brings them into the wilderness to do what? To subject them to this process that we're talking about. He says, for 40 years, he said, I, I wanted to know what was in your heart. I tested you. I brought you in the wilderness so that you would learn, so that you could be tested. In other words, so that they could surrender and submit to this process. Then what? After that, he's going to bring them into the promised land. And this is like a, a euphemism that we, that we use all the time. You know, I'm going to the promised land, and you have your own promised land, so to speak. But God wanted to bring them into the promised land. And what was he going to do? Imagine. He wanted to be their God. He wanted them to be his people. He wanted there to be the Ark of the Covenant in the temple in this amazing society and culture of people that love God, worship God, follow his commands, raise families, build families the biblical way, the godly way, in the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. I've joked before about how when I was a kid, I thought a land flowing with milk and honey like literally was waterfalls of milk and honey. That was how I envisioned it, just pouring, you know. It's not exactly what he meant, but that was God's heart and his desire. So it happens, right? I mean, it was, there were some bumps along the way, but it happens. They come out of Egypt. They spend time in the wilderness. They get to the promised land. They're driving out the inhabitants of the land. They're starting to build towns and villages, and, but it's just rebellion after rebellion after rebellion after sin after sin. And so God, even in that, God sends them prophets and he says, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to change your ways. You need to surrender to my process or what's going to happen is you're going to end up losing everything that I've given you and that I've worked for. And if, if you don't change and you don't repent, eventually you're going to lose this. Well, guess what? It finally happened. And that's where we pick up in the book of Jeremiah. So you had prophets that were prophesying before they lost everything. You have prophets that prophesy while they're in the middle of losing everything. Then you have prophets who prophesy after they've lost everything. And that's all the prophets. It, it, that really helps you understand the Old Testament. All the prophets you read, you know, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all these prophets, they're either prophesying before they've lost the promised land, during, or they're in the middle of losing the promised land, or after they've already lost it. And so when you read the Bible and you read these prophets, you kind of got to figure out which, which time they're prophesying in. And Jeremiah is in the middle. They've already, they've are, they're in the process of losing everything. 
And so God speaks to Jeremiah and he gives him this word. He says, I want you to talk to my people about how to surrender to this process. And if they'll surrender to this process, I'll give them everything back. All the promised land that they've lost, if they'll surrender to this this process where I can change them, where I can get this sin and this rebellion out of them, if they'll surrender their process, they'll get everything back. That was God's heart. It was never God's heart for them to lose the promised land and, and, and never get it back. He wanted them to get it back, but he needed to take them through a process first. So that's where we pick up in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. Those are the ones they've lost the promised land. They've been brought to Babylon. They're now living in Babylon. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what he says, verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Here's what's happening. Everybody, so they've lost Jerusalem, they've lost the promised land, they're now in Babylon, and there's a group of people saying, hey man, let's get it back. Let's go back to the Lord. Even some of them are saying, let's pray to God, let's, let's repent for what we did, and let's go back. And God's saying, oh no, that time's over. He said, I want you to start building houses because you're going to be here a while. I want you to start raising families. I want you to start living as part of this city because why? there's a process that I need to do in you before you go back. But they weren't, even after all the rebellion, even after time and time again of them rebelling in the wilderness and being punished, rebelling, being punished, repenting, going back, this whole cycle, still in this moment, they're in Babylon suffering from the the punishment of their ways, and they still will not submit to God's process. So Jeremiah is telling them, he said, look, this is what God's saying. He's saying, this is not a time to try to be going back to Jerusalem and try to get what you've lost. This is a time to submit and surrender to God's process in your life. And if you do it God's way, you'll get it all back. So what happened, though, is that there were even false prophets that began to rise up and say, no, God's going to bring us back in glory. God's going to bring us back to Jerusalem. He's going to restore everything. And this is what God said. He said, do not listen to the prophets that are among you. They're deceiving you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. They're prophesying to you in my name, but I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed... For Babylon, this was, the will of the, this was the will of God. For when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isn't it funny how often, everybody knows that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, they're good, they're not evil, bring you into a good place. You got to read it in context. He's saying, yeah, my plans for you are good. My desire for you, it is good. The end is good. 
but there's a 70-year process that you're about to submit to so that I can break you and I can change you and I can develop your character. And they still didn't do it. They still didn't do it. He said, but I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. When will all that happen? When they have submitted to God's process and they've completed those 70 years. Now, what about us? You go, okay, that's fine for them, but how does that apply to us? Well, it applies to us because every one of us have to do the same thing. We have to submit to the process of God. See, you have, every person has your desires, your will, your plan for your life. Then there's God's desires, God's will, God's plan for your life. But it's your choice which one you're going to follow. And this is what I'll tell you, is that surrendering to God doesn't really happen in church. Doesn't really happen in church. What happens in church is the desire and the passion to surrender. You know, you, you come to a good service, you got worship, you hear a good sermon, and maybe you get motivated to surrender. Maybe you, you hear the, the sermon and you get money, you go, all right, I'm going to change, I'm going to surrender to God's process. That's fantastic. That's, that's, that's about that much of the process. Because the desire to do it and the willingness to do it and the motivation to do it, yeah, it's easy to get that in church, but that's not really where surrender happens. Surrender happens when you leave this place and you wake up tomorrow morning and you encounter your will and God's will. Am I going to do it my way or am I going to do it God's way? You have that issue at work. You have that situation in your marriage. And the old you is used to handling it this way. And it's a clear picture from you. I can do this and I can yield to the flesh or I can surrender to God and I can handle this way. What's happening? Every time you do that, there's something being worked out in you. There's a process at work. There's something that is breaking in you. There's something that is surrendering in you. Matthew 16, we read this. Last week, Matthew 16, 24, I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but just remember that Jesus had just rebuked Peter because Peter was so out of touch with what was going on. Jesus was trying to explain to him about the process God had for him of dying on the cross, and Peter said, oh, no, that's not for you, Lord. That's never going to happen to you. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. He said, because you care more about the things of man than you do the things of God. In other words, you're so in touch with, with your own feelings and your own emotions, but you're not in tune with the will of God. And so he was out of place. And then Jesus looked to all of his disciples, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's say it another way. For whoever would save his life will end up surrendering it anyway. But whoever surrenders his life for my sake will find it. So he's talking about a process of surrender. Now, I know American Christians. I've been around them my whole life. And I know, here's what I know. And I'm not even saying you're wrong. I'm not even saying that we're wrong for this. But this is what I know. We want the good life. 
We want the good life. We want the best of what everything has to offer. And we want Jesus to, to come along and just further bless that and further increase that. And the, the, the less sacrifice, the better. Right? In other words, man, I, I get to serve God. I get to be on my way to heaven but not have to really sacrifice anything. Not Oh, I may have to make a few little character changes here and there, but I get to just go about my life doing. And basically, we're on a path, and we want to invite Jesus in and just kind of have him work with us and bless everything that we're doing. But did you know that when you became a Christian, you surrendered everything to God? You surrendered all that. You surrendered your life, your will, your desires, your future. You surrendered that. Now, in surrendering that, remember, Jeremiah, he said, I have good plans for you. I have a good future plan for you. In surrendering that, you, you, pray, you praise God, you may be blessed. You may live the good life. That's great. Hey, I enjoy my life. But you know what? There's been many times, many times, I've lost count of the times that I've had to lay down things that were very important to me in order to choose God's best and choose God's will. I've had to surrender relationships. I've had to surrender homes. I've had to surrender places I was living to lay down, to go after God and follow God and choose His will for my life. And, and most of the time, God's process will cost you up front. But the rewards will come later. Most of the time, your way will benefit you up front, but it will cost you later. In other words, you, you get it quick. It's immediate gratification. You do it your way, and that's how we like it. But God's way and God's process, surrendering to God's process, means delaying gratification. It means delaying your wants and your desires sometimes and putting the things of God first. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's what we were just talking about, denying himself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself means I'm laying down all of my desires and dreams and I'm picking up the cross the same way you picked up the cross. And this is so much <clears throat> revelation because what Jesus is saying is, y'all think I'm going to the cross, but actually every one of you have a cross to carry. Now your cross may not look like mine, and your cross may not look just like Jesus. It may not look like mine. It may not look like the person next to you. But here's, here's the revelation. He's saying, you were put on this planet and every one of you have a cross to bear. Will you pick it up and follow me? Will you surrender to this process and follow God? And again, this process doesn't happen in church. Your heart about it can change while you're in church. Okay, your desires about it can change, but it doesn't, it doesn't actually happen in church. This process happens tomorrow and the next day and each day that you live out. Now, I want to read to you another story in Exodus chapter 24. And as you turn there, Exodus 24, I want to bring this to your attention because sometimes... A person who's not surrendered to God, it can be out of ignorance. In other words, they just, they're a new Christian. They don't know yet. And, you know, it's easy to look at them and go, man, that person, they call themselves a Christian. They're not following God. They're not living God. Well, that could be out of ignorance. There's a difference between it being out of ignorance and out of rebellion. 
And, you know, just think about your own kids. You know, when you have kids and, and they did something that you didn't want them to do, maybe they didn't know. Or maybe you'd sat down and had a conversation about it the day before, and then they went and did it anyway. That's a difference, right? There's a, there's a difference. And Christians are like that, too. Some people are not surrendered to God, but it's out of ignorance. Some people are not surrendered to God, and it's out of rebellion. Some people are not surrendered to God, even though God has dealt with them about this issue year after year after year, and they keep butting their head against the wall, and they keep going round and round the mountain, and it keeps coming up again and again and year after year, and they will not surrender. They will not lay it down. Why? Because they, they cannot let go of their way and their will and their life. But there's a process for surrender. And this, look, if I could tell you anything this morning uh, that, that I've learned in this process is you will always be grateful when you have surrendered and laid it down. You will always be thankful because when you find out what God had for you on the other side, it's always better than the garbage you were trying to hold on to. It's always better. And when you get on the other side and you look back, you typically go, what was I thinking? Why? Why did I think that was so valuable? Why did I think I had to hold on to that? Why? This is so much better. I should have done this a long time ago. That's usually where we end up, but we can't see that on the other side. Now, in Exodus chapter 24, I want to show you this process of surrender because remember I said that surrender doesn't actually happen in church. And this is, I'm going to show you a perfect example of this in Exodus chapter 24. What's happening in uh, Exodus 24 is a lot of the law has already been given. I mean, we've received a huge amount of the law at this point, and Moses has communicated it to the, the people, and they're hearing it for the first time. So in verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. So you see, there's that heart to surrender. No, they're not specifically in church, but they're all gathered. And Moses, their pastor, comes and he said, this is what God said. This is what we're supposed to do. And he says, all with one accord and one voice, they lifted up and said, all the words that God has spoken, we will do. Now, some of y'all are smiling because you, you've read Exodus and you know what's about to happen. <laughs> so the, 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 the law is read, they hear it, and their heart just like many that are sitting in church every Sunday morning, they hear it and they go, man, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to, I'm going to live that way. I'm going to surrender to the process of God. You know what happened after this? The golden calf. <laughs> the golden calf. Actually, what happened directly after this is Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days. And he had a, he had a long time with God for 40 days. And then he's coming back down the mountain in uh, Exodus 32.1. So remember, they're in church, and they made the declaration, their, their love and loyalty, they professed it to God. We will do everything the Lord has said. Verse 1 of chapter 32, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Isn't this amazing? They've already forgot about Moses. It hadn't even been 40 days. Brought them out of Egypt. <laughs> they forgot about God and Moses within the span of 40 days. But I thought 40 days ago they were professing their love to the Lord. 
I thought 40 days ago they said, we'll do anything for God. All the words that the Lord has spoken, all 613 commandments that he laid out, we'll do every one of them. Well, yeah, because the human heart is fickle. And you can be passionate about something one day, and the next day you can have, give up, you can have given up on it. You could, have, you could have loyalty and devotion to this person, and then the next week you can have written them off. Anybody, you ever had anybody do that to you before? The human heart is, is fickle. So it's easy to feel emotion and profess something. That's not what God's after. God's not after a church full of people this morning to raise their hand and say, Oh, I'm going to follow you, Lord, all the days of my life. He's not after that. He's after when we walk out of this place doing that decade after decade after decade so that the fruit is in your life and in your children's lives and in your grandchildren's lives and it goes on and on and on generation after generation. That's what God's looking for. But you know, this is one reason why, I'll just say this, this is one reason why at the end of our services, we don't have people come down to the front that are professing salvation. There's, there's several reasons for that, but sometimes people ask me, how come when we give an altar call and we ask if people want to be saved, we don't have them come down to the front? You know why? Because coming down to the front doesn't mean a whole lot. Just because you came down to the front doesn't mean anything. And listen, I've been in church my whole life and watched hundreds of people come down to the front and not even be in church the next Sunday. Coming down to the front doesn't mean anything. Actually, there's nowhere in the Bible that says if you want to be saved, come down to the front. <laughs> Never read that scripture. So, no, we don't do that. And I'm not even, I don't care if people do do that. I'm not against that at all. But we don't do it because we're looking for true salvation. We're looking, for true, we're looking for people to be truly born again. And you don't have to come down and prove to everyone. You don't have to come down to the front and be embarrassed and prove to everybody in this room that you, that you love God enough to come down to this room full of strangers. You don't have to do that. That's not how you're saved. That doesn't cause salvation in a person's life. You know what does? Believing in your heart. Professing with your mouth. Letting God transform your heart. Walking out of these doors and living it every single day. That's what makes the difference. So, talk is cheap. Coming down to the front is cheap. It doesn't mean anything. What means something is when you walk out of here and every single morning that you wake up, you surrender your life to Jesus Christ all over again. Every, every morning. Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. There's days that we're probably more surrendered than others. If I could go home with you and you could go home with me, you'd probably see that. There's days that we're more surrendered than others. But it's a constant fight and devotion. Just like you fight for your marriage. Just like you fight for your kids. You fight for your relationship with God. And when you get off course, you repent and you go back again. When you've lost something, you go back and you re-surrender that area again to God. And you say, my life is not my own. And it may look like a, some of our lives, you know, with the Lord may look like a stock graph, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. But hopefully it's doing this, up and down, up and down, but there's still a progression of, of growth. Nobody's chart looks like this. And you definitely don't want your chart looking like this. Or this. Right? But... Another reason that we don't have people come down to the front, because I don't, I don't want you to think that living for God is a one-time decision, like that one moment that I made that choice. Listen, I make the choice every day. You make the choice every day to live a life surrendered to God. 
And that's way more important than coming down to the front. It's way more important that you wake up daily surrendering your life to God. So when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron didn't put up much of a fight. This is disappointing. Aaron, I thought Aaron had a little more in him than this, but I found out in, in Exodus uh, chapter 32 that he did not. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wife. He didn't even, he didn't even say, guys, you sure you want to do this? He said, man, this sounds like a great idea. So Aaron said, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears. Now, now as we're reading this, I want you to think about the love that they had just professed a few chapters before. We shall do everything the Lord says. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. They rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Remember, Moses is up on the mountain. Go down for your people. See, they're not God's people anymore. He, already, he gave them up. He said, Moses, go down. I don't want them anymore. Go down. For your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. I mean, and Moses did this before. God, remember, these are your people. Neither of us want them. All right, look, we got to stay in this together. Go down for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. And see, isn't that the issue right there? They have turned aside quickly. You remember the... A parable that Jesus gave in the New Testament about the uh, different types of ground that the seed is sown on. He says the seed is cast and it lands on different types of ground. And the ground is a symbol of your heart and mine. What type of heart do you have? Is it going to be one that sprouts up quickly and burns off? Because we see that a lot. Is it going to be somebody that they, they start for a little while and they're in it for a few weeks, a few months, and then eventually they just go back to their old ways because they didn't, they didn't repent, they didn't turn from the sin, they didn't completely surrender? Or you're going to be like that last, that last group where it's planted, it grows, and it produces much fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. He said, but these, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. This is how God felt about it. He turned to Moses. He said, Listen, I am so done with them. And if you're hearing this for the first time and you're like, man, that seems harsh, I, I want to encourage you. This is chapter 32. Go sit down and read Exodus 1 through 32 in one sitting. I know that's a lot, 32 chapters. It'd take you about two hours. Sit down and read from Exodus 1 to chapter 32. 
you will not feel that way when you get to chapter 32. You will be shocked that he held out as long as he did. Because it's, this is one in a line of dozens and dozens and dozens of things. And it's not just that it's so many. It's all the, thing, all the goodness of God that preceded it, but you still did this. So God's had enough. He said, this is a stiff-necked people. I'm telling you, let me be done with them, and I'm just going to start over with you, Moses. He said, I did the rainbow thing with Noah, so I can't just wipe the whole, you know, but at least with these people, I'm going to start over with you. And look, these things are there for us to learn lessons, not to make fun of the people of Israel. I love making fun of them, but I'm just saying, it's really about looking inward. You know, it's not about making fun of others. And so we really have to look at our own hearts and go, do I have any of that in me? Have I seen those tendencies in me to say a lot and profess a lot? And, and I'm not saying you didn't mean it. You know, like I said, it's very easy to mean it when you're sitting in here. Have I said a lot, but then when it comes to the rubber meeting the road and I'm out of here, do I live a life surrendered to God and His Word? Do I regularly encounter Areas of my life that contradict the word where I have to make a choice of which one I'm going to surrender to. And I choose surrender to God and his word. Because I don't care who you are, that should be happening on a regular basis. Do you have decisions in your life where before you make them, you prayerfully seek God because you are not the captain of your life? There's so many people I talk to, oh, we decided we were going to do this. And big things. I mean, moving their family halfway across the country. Oh, well, I got offered this job. I'm going to be moved. And, you know, as their pastor, I got to ask them those fun questions. Like, what, did you pray about that? Well, I mean, you know, not, I mean, I didn't really just pray. I mean, I just, I was thinking about, I'm like, you're, you're the captain of your own ship. You didn't even ask permission from your Lord if that was what he wanted you to do. See, that's a person doing that. That's a person who's not surrendered to God. Your life is still your own. But look, when you may, if your life is not your own, then you have to ask permission before you do things with your life. You have to ask permission before you do things with your finances, before you make big decisions in your life. And you'd be shocked at how many times the stamp comes back, permission denied. You'd be shocked how many times that happens. Because his will is different than yours. But remember... He always has your best interest in mind. It's always for your own good. Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus was kind of uh, emphasizing the same point that we've been talking about this morning. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son, and he said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So he gives, them, he gives the Pharisees this example. He says there's two sons. One, he says, I want you to go work in the vineyard today. He has a bad attitude about it and he says, no, I'm not doing that. But then later he walks away and he thinks about it and he says, that was wrong. And then he goes and he does the will of the father. The other son 
says, yeah, sure, I'll go do that. And he has a good attitude about it up front. And then later, for whatever reason, maybe he gets distracted, maybe he changed his mind, whatever. But he did not go and do. And in this instance, I feel like one of the things Jesus is, is pointing out is that actions mean more than words or intentions. I mean, he clearly says, which one did the will of the Father? Well, it wasn't the one who had good intentions. It wasn't. The, and so that reminds me of how people do in church where you're here and you go, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll make that change. Yeah, I'll surrender that. I'll do that. Well, you're like the second son. Yeah, I'll do that. But then when you leave here, what happens? See, nothing really happened in here. You just, you just made a decision, but you haven't actually done the will of God yet. Now, if we had to pick... What God is saying, if I had to pick, I'd rather you have a bad attitude about it up first, but then go think about it, then repent, and then actually go live a life of surrender to God. I think it'd be better if you could do both. You know, if you could show up here and have a good attitude and then go out and surrender. That's probably the best case scenario. But I still think what Jesus is pointing out is if you had good intentions up front, but you didn't follow through, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. So here's so I don't want to under uh, I don't want to undermine the importance of being here this morning and make a decision to surrender for God. I mean, if you're here and, and God's working on you and the Holy Spirit is talking to you and you're sitting here thinking, man, I, I really want to live a life of surrender for God. I, I know he's been talking to me and I want to make a, a surrender to God and I want to change my life. That's a great start. But all I want you to know is it's just that. It's a start. But it's a great start. It's a great start. But the real work begins tomorrow. The real work begins every morning after where you wake up and you go, my life is not my own. I want the will of, of God for my life, not my own will. And what will happen is after decade after decade, you will find yourself more and more and more surrendered to God to where you, you don't even think the same way as other people think because you're so used to thinking in terms of what is the will of God? What does he want me to do? You know, my life is not my own. You'll be thinking in those terms. You won't even recognize the old you that was so used to just thinking about what you wanted and what you did. Last scripture I want to read to you this morning is in Luke chapter 13. And I wanted to read this passage as we close this morning because you have to see God's heart for this. You have to see his heart. And, you know, again, just remembering that when he's asking you to surrender, he has your best interest in mind. And in Luke chapter 13, verse 34, you know, he's walking. He's walking into Jerusalem. He sees the big city. He sees the hustle and the bustle. He sees people walking around. And... He says, oh, Jerusalem, this is Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hens gather her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. In other words, you would not submit. You would not surrender. But this was my will for you. This was my desire for you. My desire was to draw you in, to protect you. To have, just like we read in Jeremiah, a, a future full of, of hope and good plans and good things. He said, this was my desire. How often, if you just surrendered, you just submitted, you just repented, how often I would have pulled you in. 
I would have restored the things you had lost. I would have brought health. I would have brought restoration. I would have brought things in your life. How often I would have done that. He said, but you were not willing. I was willing, but you weren't willing. That's what Jesus says. So this morning, same thing. How many of us are in that position that he's looking at us going, your life is in shambles. You're, you're reaching, you're, you're entering into all these issues and, and problems and you have all these things going on. It's like if you would just surrender and you would just submit, I would, I would come in and I would restore, I would bring health, I would bring healing to these areas of your life. But you have to stop going your way. You have to surrender your way. You have to surrender your will. And don't, don't raise your hand, but I have a feeling that there are some in here that are just tired of doing it their own way. I mean, how many are just tired of, I'm tired of doing things my own way and, and seeing the, the result of that and hurting people and hurting myself? I am, I am ready to surrender to God. And listen, if that's you, you can begin that process this morning. <laughs> 